0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya Georgetown basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft. And we haven't done many of these, but we are back and the season's getting close. So, of course, of course, I've got to have my guys Nationwide Nolan and Florida Hoya John Hawks on as Georgetown has picked up in the recruiting. And we know what the home schedule is like now, at least for the non-conference games. I think this is the first time I've had you guys on the pod since, man, I don't know, March or April. What's up, Nolan? What's up, man?
1: Doing good. I wish we had some kind of lead to talk about, but I'm sure we'll get into that in a bit. Yeah, the season will be here before you know it.
0: And Florida. What's up with you, man? Anything new I need to know about?
2: Uh, <laughs> I just I just got back from Florida actually. Speaking of, you know, my, my Twitter handle here. So it's the first time I've been to Florida since uh pre-COVID. I can report that it is still extremely hot and humid down there. Uh Actually I think you probably saw right? I went down to uh the I went down to the U for the first time in like fifteen years too. I I came back now with like seven NIL deals for my uh, name <laughs> image and likeness actually. This podcast is now being sponsored by an MMA gym and like a chicken wing place, so oh,
0: I would not be against that. Yes, yes, yes.
2: <laughs> by the way, Bobby, do you remember what we talked about? Do you remember any of the conversation we had the last time I was on the pod?
0: You know what? I've, uh, if we're gonna get into things that we're doing with our life, I have a a one month old <laughs> in my house right now. Yeah, um, and no, I do not remember what we talked about a couple months ago.
2: And, and by the way, congratulations, uh, Georgetown—not the only entity that's adding to their roster during the recruitment cycle, Bobby. So congrats <laughs> to you and the family. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the last time I was on, I think it was after the Marquette game in the Big East tournament, um, <laughs> where I dropped such. Uh, such wonderful gems as, well, you know, they're gonna have to play a little bit better than that to beat Villanova tomorrow. And uh, you know, maybe we should go after Chris Likes. You know, you can never be a hundred percent sure this Dante Harris guy is gonna turn out. So <laughs> Thanks thanks for thanks for letting me off probation
0: Did you have any any uh Wojo takes?
2: Uh oh I definitely did during the game. Yeah. No, uh <laughs> That was. I actually. I honestly wish I was in Vegas. You could. I could have thrown so much money against Wojo in that game. Um, it's fun to see. I would say it's fun to see a team actively quit on their coach during a game, but they quit on him like weeks before. Um, yeah. Anyway,
0: a lot's changed, but a lot's changed for the good, right? And so we have a lot of things to get to. But the first one, I think, it would be definitely bearing the lead, if we didn't talk about Georgetown just got its first class of 2022. Commitment in Denver angling, and uh, he's the first Hoya Verbal. As I said, he's a top 150 prospect. He's a 6'2 combo guard from New Jersey. Uh, He had a great peach jam. I've been to that event. It's been years and years, but that's an awesome event to go to. Um, He's known as a sharpshooter, a defender. Some of the schools Georgetown and Ewing beat out for his services. There's a lot of them, but, you know, apparently if you want to just focus on the Big East, looks like Connecticut and Providence were after him as well. Nolan, let's start with you. I know that you're big into recruiting. You're big into evaluating talent. It looked like this one was coming for a while. So, you know, you don't want to jinx things, but it ended up coming to fruition. What were your thoughts on him?
1: He was, I tweeted this out maybe the week leading into his announcement that at least out of the realistic targets, he was who I wanted the most. Um, I just think his profile is the type of kid you want to, I don't want to say build around, but he's the type of kid you want in your program. He's academics matter to him. He's, by all accounts, a leader, plays extremely hard, um, not afraid to play defense, and, you know, he's just not a good shooter. Like, Georgetown has recruited good shooters in the past. Um, you know, if you go back to somebody like Josh Thornton, who came in with a rep as a shooter, which actually... The dagger, be I believe, the right?
0: Yeah. Wasn't he the dagger? So-
1: Yeah, which actually, once he went to Townsend, it it proved out to be the case, but this is a different level. You're talking about maybe the best shooter in the whole 2022 class, which he showed that uh, through the last couple weeks AAU and into Peach Jam. I think the New York Rens played 12 games in a two-week span, and he shot 48% from three with a sample size of, I think it was, between 75 and 80 attempts. So he is elite, Um, and if you look at it more, that that AAU team was loaded. I think anybody who's just pigeonholing him into being just a shooter is making a mistake. So I'm not surprised the staff told him eventually we wanna see you play a little bit of one. I think he compliments Dante Harris well, when he gets here, whoever else is in the backcourt still. He's just, he's gonna stick around. Now, it's hard to say that nowadays because everybody likes to transfer, but he's not somebody who's going to, just due to his profile, again, his size, he's a 6'2", combo guard. You're not rushing to get to the NBA when you have that profile. So, And I don't really worry about a small backcourt. We just saw Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler just roll through the entire country. Not saying we have a parallel to that, but. I don't really worry about having a small backcourt when you have a kid who can shoot the ball as well. So to me, it was a home run. I think it was a great way to start off your class.
0: Yeah. And John, speaking of starting off your class, Anglin is the timing of the signing is following a trend. So last year, both Jordan Riley and Jalen Billingsley, they both announced around the same time. Jordan was end of July. Jalen was, I believe, August 1st. And Before that Ewing, most of his recruiting had kind of come in the fall, the fall, even to the winter. So, what do you think about the timing of the recruit? And is there anything you can possibly say to out random the Josh Thornton reference we just received from Nolan?
2: Um, you know, I I could probably throw Stephen Domingo in there, but I think he's already come up this week. because he on a summer league roster? Isn't
0: he? <laughs> he has, yes.
2: I that was yeah, I, that was a, certainly a blast. And the, the relatively around the same past as as Josh Thornton, man. Um, <laughs> No, you know, actually, I was, I was interested to sort of hear Nolan reaffirm some things that I, you know, read also about about, about Denver. That he's somebody you probably see you know, eventually complementing Dante in the backcourt. That's actually something to be curious about how they handle the the, the backup point guard position this year. Um, see what sort of their long-term plan is there. Um, I know Dante figures to be around for at least a couple more years, but. I'm curious how he spots in there and the shooting, I know, you know, we've just talked about Stephen Domingo and Josh Thornton, like it's never a hundred percent sure thing. It's something like that translates, but um, you know, it's certainly looking for somebody who has that profile, you know, the sample size, I think, you know, actually we shot, you know, historically for Georgetown in the last like decade, pretty well last year from three, but going into this season, like your sample size of guys who shot three pointers last year is basically Don Carey and Dante Harris on this team. I know we've got guys, you know, transferring in that have decent profiles for that position, but that's certainly a welcome skill set. I also had something Nolan kind of alluded to. It does seem like, and this is more of an intangible thing, it's tricky to talk about this. It does seem like sort of the profile, the type of player you're bringing in is a is type of player over the past now one plus recruiting cycles that's probably better from a program building perspective you know i'm trying to be a little oblique here but like not necessarily think about a particular individual but just the combination of players you had in the program a couple few years ago never seemed like it quite meshed their fit. and mm-hmm. maybe there's sort of evidence that you've got some pieces here that feel like they're better from a long-term program building perspective and i realize that's really loaded to say but you know I don't know, would you think it helped to ask? To me,
1: that's absolutely true. That was, for me, one of the biggest selling points was him, was what everybody said about him as far as a leader. And just watching him, you could see that, how I think there's a fine line between being passionate about your team and being passionate about yourself. And to me, just that guy as a kid who the team was first, and I think the role he played on the New York Rams, uh throughout AAU kind of showed that and just to add one thing i think we'd be remiss to not he's taking a lot of heat and for me maybe especially uh oh, yeah, he, yeah
0: the 1st no, this is one of the first things i actually thought of
1: yeah so I, by all counts he was the point man on this and recruited him as long and as steadily as any other program so he he does deserve a lot of credit for this one
0: i think it's great to build momentum like as a top 150 kid all the Georgetown online, the Twitter, the message boards. All the, everyone feels like he's going to end up improving, and you know the rankings are the rankings, right? Like you, you know Jordan Riley seems like he might be a, a lot higher ranked than he was, and all these things. But I think it's so important to land a player, and this is just me to land a player like this in the summer, and to mm-hmm. already get that momentum going for the entire class. I don't know where you guys think about that, but then that sort of leads me to my next question, which involves a lot of speculation. And honestly, I don't know how as a coach you deal with this now, but technically speaking, as of today, Georgetown's roster for when um, Denver England shows up, there's only one spot left. Now we obviously know that's not going to be the case for a variety of reasons. How do you think, the staff deals, and it's not just Georgetown staff; it's everyone's staff. But how many more kids can you kind of, can you kind of get to verbal? I mean, just today they offered a kid, Ryan Dunn, a six-seven small forward out of New York. Some people are reading that as they're not in as well with some of the guys they've already been recruiting. But you got to keep recruiting, so so you know you got to just you know stay after it. So how big do you guys think that this class can be? And I'm not, I'm not even you know necessarily trying to get you guys to speculate about who might leave or who might not be there that year. But it seems, it, it it seems, you know, reasonable to believe that this will be bigger than a two man class. Right.
1: I I would think so. It's, yeah, it's not a task I envy. It's, and and I didn't really get into recruiting until really the last month because, I mean, we saw it this spring with how many kids transferred. It's, it just feels like free agency once the spring comes. So it's, I think they're in a good spot where, as long as they like the roster they currently have, where maybe it's one or two more high school kids, and then you can supplement what you need uh, through the transfer market.
0: Is there somebody right now that stands out to you? I know that a lot of people Watson, or actually, um, would would you like to name some of the, some of the players you think that Georgetown's on the hardest right now, or 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 I guess has has the best chance with?
1: It seemed like they have positive momentum with uh, Christian Watson, who is, I believe, the St. John's D.C. kid. Right. Uh, That seemed, from what was reported, maybe the most realistic option, and his decision might come in September. Beyond him, then Brumba, the point guard, who I would still absolutely take uh, with Denver.
0: He looks a little bit like, a guy playing for the Lakers right now in summer league. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Carmelo Anthony
0: <laughs> in summer league, John. And
1: apparently he's right in the, I don't know how close to campus he grew up, but apparently it's right in the backyard. Uh, so that's an option there. And I'll throw the name out there just because it kind of caught me off guard that they got an official out of him when not many other programs have Is Chris Livingston, the five star. Oh, yeah. yeah and then you got the reports that hey the whole family made the trip somebody said even grandparents included which whenever georgetown can get the mom and the dad and whoever else in the family it's usually a good sign they usually can sell that pretty well so that kind of raised my eyebrows like you never know and hopefully behind the scenes georgetown's nil deal they have something in the works to You know, traditionally when you look at a kid like that who's being recruited by Kentucky, Memphis, Kansas, you would say no shot. Maybe there's an avenue where that playing field is evened out a little bit. So I think you have to throw him in there. Maybe you did get an official out of him, so he's clearly an option there.
0: John, what do you think about just recruiting right now and the idea of if the job wasn't wasn't hard or difficult before this you've got one spot open, but you know you're probably gonna have like three spots eventually like I mean can you just think about what it what it is like to do this and the strategies of a staff
2: uh yeah whenever i whenever that dilemma is posed to me I always remind myself how much these people make a year um and then I'm not <laughs> worried about that um yeah I would yes remember that always um I actually do i do want to talk about the NIL angle, just for a little bit, because I'm curious what you both think, if you both think the NIL thing is, where is it on the relevant scale in terms of a strength for recruitment or even a detriment to to Georgetown? I know there's a feeling in the fan base. There's a perception at Georgetown, I'm going to be direct with it, that Georgetown's going to F this up, uh, the, the whole NIL thing. It's very possible Georgetown is just taking a very low-key even responsible approach to this um, maybe putting on your, you know, social media feed, you know, your somebody from your staff doing a PowerPoint presentation for a team. Isn't the most sophisticated look in the world granted. Um, but do we think this is a thing, right? Do we think that Georgetown is at a competitive disadvantage in
0: an NIL world? Well, or- I think, I, you know, I, I think the fact that they don't have FBS football, mm. I think gives them some, some time to figure out and even look at what other schools are doing. Um, I think from that standpoint, like the fact that, you know, you mentioned Miami and I believe Nolan is a hurricane football guy. Um, You know, they don't have to be on, on top of it as quickly as the FBS power five schools. Maybe it'll be power four by tomorrow. I don't know, but you know what I mean? So I think that there are people that are very concerned about Georgetown's ability to navigate the NIL world but I don't think I would be concerned just yet. And I think that they do have a lot to offer and, you know, DC, you know, I mean, John, you're the one, you're the one of us. That's an alum. You know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, I'm sure have businesses have X, have Y, have Z. And if they want to get involved, this is the way they can. I I guess I just think it's probably just riding the fence, but I think that it's a little bit too early to freak out about where Georgetown's going to be in this new world.
2: Yeah, I mean, I do agree that, first of all, I think it, it's worth acknowledging the obvious here that, that college football is you know, several magnitudes above college basketball when it comes to sort of the NIO world. Right? There are going to be athlete, college basketball student-athletes here and there, of course, with very high profiles who are going to cash in tremendously on this. But uh, on average, like, again, we're a few orders of magnitude up from college football. And, you know, the college football season is now less than a month away. So, there's a little more urgency and relevance to NIL deals, of course. Um, but I mean, it's, I, I, I joked about it on Twitter, you know, that there's, I'm also you know, a, a Miami Hurricanes football fan. That it's sort of funny that the outward facing NIL posture of those two programs, you know, if you, you compare what Miami has been doing, you know, some of it facilitated through other athletic departments, some of it facilitated through alum, some through, again, the MMHM owners of the world, right? But it's it's sort of an interesting contrast that on, like, you know, the 1201 of the day NIL goes into effect, like, you know, Derek King, who, again, a very high profile, you know, potentially Heisman relevant college football player, has, you know, five, six deals kind of already ready to go and ready for signature. And, you know, you see other student athletes, including some of our own on, you know, social media posting that sort of like black notes app background, like, hey, my DMs are open kind of thing. It sort of speaks to on some level one program whether you agree with sort of the aggressive approach they're taking had an aggressive approach and another program clearly hadn't set anything up yet and you know, it's just something that'll be interesting to monitor right um you know i don't think there's you know again again orders of magnitude difference between college football and college basketball maybe you know a big use program student athletes aren't going to be in line for major deals perhaps but it still behooves the athletic department to have some kind of structure in place to help out with this. And I, again, it's an outward facing posture, but Georgetown again, is not very outward facing. And you got to wonder like, what, what is their strategy here?
0: So um, this is definitely interesting. I'm glad we're talking about it. I, I would pose this question to both of you. Do you think Patrick Ewing would stick around if he felt, and I'm not saying obviously that we're we're in the infancy of this new world, right. But just, you know, a couple years down the road, do you think a pro, a high profile coach like Patrick Ewing would even stick around if he felt Georgetown was a place where you couldn't compete because of the NIL? You know what I mean? Like, I feel, I feel like maybe if if Georgetown had a coach where you know it was like a no name assistant that you know just got hired and he was young, whatever. But I feel the fact that they've got this guy, like you know, Space Jam two just came out. He's in Space Jam. Like he's a thing. You know, outside of basketball, you know, he's just such a big star. I. I think that he would find a way to make, to get everyone on board, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I I think often, I shouldn't say often, but I think when push comes to shove, Georgetown is not afraid to deploy resources, um, either with head coach salary or the overall basketball budget. I I do think just because they've been quiet so far, I, I don't think there's a reason to freak out. I think what we've seen is all these college football programs are doing it, but yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen a ton from the basketball side. No. Like yeah, I, I don't think Georgetown's really gonna be like is UVA gonna have boosters coming out with tons of money to sponsor these kids for whatever thing. I, I just don't see that being the case. And even if you just break it down in the big east I I don't see a singular school in the conference really where you would say Georgetown's at a disadvantage going against, you know, you can bring up Kentucky and Kansas, but that, I mean, aside from the 1980s, you were never going to recruit with those programs anyway, really. So it's, uh, I I think when push comes to shove, Georgetown will be right there with everybody else. It's not something I'm really worried about yet.
2: Yeah. You know, as much as I just, you know, complained about the contrast between, two programs, right? Georgetown is in no universe competing with the University of Miami's football program or any major mm-hmm. college football program. They are competing with, you know, a, a class of you know, Big East pro- basketball programs and similarly structured college basketball programs. Like, I, I, I don't think as much as I'm, I, I'm more skeptical, not about Georgetown devoting resources, but more deploying de- 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 like, creativity. I don't think the marginal like harm is going to be that great where it's going to be some sort of recruiting desert because of it. I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I don't think we're going to be more skeptical. We're going to excel in this world, but I don't know how much of an impact it's truly going to have.
1: Yeah. And John, you know, this like
2: for university of Miami, they are
1: in a position where they have to get out ahead of it because if they don't, all those kids from Dade County, Broward, they're going to go to Alabama, Clemson, mm-hmm. All these power programs, where you know, small I shouldn't say small, but a private school like Miami, they have no choice but to be the first ones out there if they want to stay at that competitive level.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, Bobby said, you know, there's there's certain alums out there with businesses and stuff. I mean, it's it is not the kind of target rich environment that South Florida is, believe me, mm-hmm. right? It's the land that's first, like Nevin Shapiro, right? Like, yeah, there's there's, there's opportunities, there's a rich pool.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's time to get nervous about this yet, but you can just add it to the list of topics where you can circle back to and get, you know, anxious, nervous, whatever about it in the future. But I think right now it's probably low for me as far as getting worried or concerned about it. I think that uh, it's just so early and particularly for basketball, there's nothing to really compare it to.
2: I would check back, though, in like early November to see if there are any deals that show up like in the run-up to the basketball season where it's probably more relevant to put that NIL or advertising money in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's definitely going to be – it's not going away. And uh, this, there are schools that are going to find a way to use it to their advantage, and you, you want to be one of them, especially when the results on the court haven't been where you've wanted them to be for – you know, outside of four days, which was glorious four days, you know, this past March, you want to find, you know, angles to succeed. And, you know, that not necessarily, you know, wins and losses on the court, but what could lead to wins and losses. So it's not another area where you want to get, you know, behind.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.
0: Um, speaking of behind guys, everyone's so excited about this class. Obviously, you know, Muhammad, Matumbo, Beard, Riley, Billingsley, uh, John, I mentioned how much, you know, how much we valued those long Kenner league diatribes you've had for years and years that have always made me chuckle and laugh. I've really appreciated them. And I've obviously been to a lot of Kenner league. I'm not sure Nolan, you've had the chance being out of town, but man, of all the years and look, I totally understand why there isn't Kenner league. But how much are we missing Kenner League right now? would probably be about the playoff time of it, right, John?
2: Yeah, I look, I, I look. Actually, my answer to this is I don't know that I would miss the version of the Kenner League in the last, like, five, six years. Um, but The, the old from, version
0: like, where, like, the entire freshman team was on the tombs?
2: Right. And so, I mean, that's – I mean, I'm not saying – it's nothing against the organizers or the Kenner League or the players involved. It's just I think one of the big – detriments to the to Kenner League was the rule change about roster you're right. You're uh, right. So, you know, the, the two player limit per roster, you know, is particularly hurtful uh, for the fans' interest anyway. In a year yeah. when you have so many new, you have a huge freshman class, you have at least you have two transfers coming into that you want to see kind of all together. Mm-hmm. And then you're having to devote like, you know, however many hours worth of seeing multiple you know, teams and stuff. I, I, I look at was like, you know, this is what's, you know, summer of 2021 right now. So, this is 10 years on. I actually looked speaking in my old like kinder league reports. I looked them, some of them up before I got on the call. Um, It's been 10 years like this week since the, uh, I don't know if you remember like 2011 in the summer, that was the summer of like the Otto Porter, Greg Whittington, freshman class that came in and they all played together on the tombs. And that was a really like memorable, like weekend worth of playoff games that like the, the championship game that year was I wrote that it was it was 105-101. It was a Clyde's tomb game. Like Greg Monroe and Jeff Green, were on Clyde, like pretty much the whole freshman class minus Tyler Adams was playing in that game. And you know there was a really big comeback in the semifinal. Like it was a legitimately like not just like hey, it's something fun to do. Like it was awesome. time on a Saturday. It was a legitimately like awesome like three or four playoff games in a row just to be at and watch. Um, I don't know. Maybe like you know maybe you'll get back there i mean nothing else it's kind of some you know random fun um yeah like i i sort of miss those days um you know i also would say you know you'd have to go back a little bit further into the the mid-2000s when you had like you know that kind of simultaneously going on in in the dmv you had you know georgetown sort of sweet 16 final four you know multiple biggies championship run you had George Mason going to the Final Four. You had GW that made the tournament three straight years. And you had all those teams are good teams at the same time. And Maryland's still sending, you know, your – Maryland was an, incredible in those few years right there, but you were still sending like a James
0: Gist, a Gravis
2: Basket. You had a lot of really good players there. Um,
0: do you, do you remember so, when there was – one? I mean, I used to go all the time, but there was – I'm sure it happened multiple times, but the, there was one time I was there on a Saturday where Kevin Durant just played three straight games. Like he just went and he was wearing like the all red Nike pro city yeah. Jersey. He went and like, he just kept playing. And, you know, uh, there was one summer where DeMarcus cousins was, I don't know if he was rehabbing cause John Wall was here, but there there was just, you know, the, the mix of pros and really good players and yeah. college players that had gone overseas and they were home, you know, Kennerly. you know, I hate to sound like, Oh, back in my day, it was better, but it was really a happening.
2: There's, so this is of, of, of Kevin Durant. Does Kevin Durant have a brother? Because one of the most random subplots of Kennerly around that like summer when, when Durant did show up was like around that summer or maybe the same summer, there was somebody who who looked like Kevin Durant but was not Kevin Durant who would show up. And people thought it was Kevin Durant. And so it was he played really a weird. Lot.
0: Like, he played a lot with I think he was pretty good friends with Mo Creek.
2: Yeah, that
0: makes sense. Yeah. I think I think that's what it was. Like he he was always with him. Hmm. But anyway, yeah. this, this this would have been a great summer for Kenner. Even though you can only have two players on the same team, I think. Well, of course, I mean, it sounds like maybe Mohammed was injured trying out for the Nigeria team, or you know, we're never going to know. So we 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 would have had all that all that speculation about him. Um, of course, for all the good we're remembering about Kenner League. There's also the time where you readjust your schedule, you make it there just in time, and there's either a forfeit or, you know, oh, so-and-so is out of town. So I, I think I do have to at least bring up that there are some there are some wah-wah moments to Kenner League.
2: I think that happened to me. I, I I stopped going nearly as often, but I think it happened to me the summer that McClung and McKinjo and all of them were freshmen. I think I went to see like a McClung game and it like was one of the times when their schedule got canceled. And I didn't show up. And so you just kind of sit there and like, well, I guess I came. Here. I might as well watch this.
0: Yeah. Okay. So no Kenner league, hopefully next year, there'll be some form of Kenner league. I miss hanging out with Rich Focken and our friend Ben standing and going to the games. Now what is going to happen is there's a home schedule and currently Everything is going to happen at Capital One Arena. Um, we hope that that stays where it is. There's going to be fans, which means if there's fans, there's going to be season tickets. John, I, I haven't been a season ticket holder in a long time. I had them from 2004 until I stopped going to games because I was covering them. But I, I, I still bought them and sold and, or sold them or gave them away at face value or whatever. Um, I think until 2013. And then that got too complicated. and just got rid of them. But I know that you've been heavily involved with season tickets for a long time in one way or another. Um, can you explain real quick what the new season ticket policy is? And I want to get your thoughts on it.
2: Yes, yeah, so they really, I mean, what it comes down to is they kind of cleaved off. So the, the home schedule the, the, the home schedule is 18 games this year. And so, what they, and so there's the, the 10 of games and there are eight non-conference games. And so what Georgetown basically did this year was they cleaved off six of the non-conference games that you would call the cupcake games, and that's kind of a pejorative term, but the six least interesting of the non-conference games, they cleaved off, and they're essentially making them opt-in if you're a season ticket holder. Now, there, there's no charge to opt-in, um, but you have to proactively opt-in for the games. And the idea is, so the way that they pitched it in the season ticket email is, um, they're saying like the new seed and ticket plan is a way to like maximize the value for you, the fan, and also allow us to you know a, you know fill the arena as much as possible. Those those are two very noble goals. Um, one of them's a little bit of marketing magic, as I was kind of saying online. Um, and again, I I I came across sound, came across a little angry, for training and I'm not sort of wagging my finger or scolding about that. It's just I'm sort of rolling my eyes at like yeah okay you're maximizing value. The underlying point is, the last time we had a full season, there were also 18 games. The cost of the 18 game package this year is the exact same as it was two years ago. There's no change in the value of your tickets. All they've done is just said six of these games, you got to opt in. Now Georgetown's portraying it as, we're giving you these other six games free of charge, which, I mean, whatever you want to call it, fine. The cost to you is the same for the same number of games. Um, That said, The other goal of filling the arena is not the worst idea in the world. It's actually a pretty creative way to do it. What they're essentially saying is, if you're a season ticket holder and you have a seat in like the 100 level, um, if you decide, you know what, Longwood on a weeknight is just not my jam. I'm not gonna go to that game. You cannot opt in or opt out of that game. And Georgetown will take that ticket and either give it to somebody who has season tickets, and opts in and wants to sit in a better seat. Or I know they're offering season ticket holders the chance to take up to four free tickets if they want to use them for somebody else. That could be a way to redistribute those. The idea, I think, is Georgetown has probably finally realized our home arena looks kind of crappy on TV. Um, and you're starting to actually see this, like, in some of the coaches' confidential things you're seeing on websites, you know, whatever, like opposing coaches and whatever, saying, you know, Georgetown's arena, our home court advanced kind of thing. Um, so it's an effort to try to make the arena artificially look a little more full, which fine. Like, that's actually not a bad idea. George, um, Georgetown, please heed this advice if you're not going to already. Take advice from the world of professional wrestling. Please only distribute the tickets on the side opposite the hard camera, which is the one with the benches. Don't make the side that's not on camera look full. Use the one next to the benches first. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's, not, it's not a bad plan. I actually think it's a pretty creative idea, although I'm eye-rolling at the idea that it's saving me any money. It is not.
0: Not saving me money. Um, Nolan, I know you're out of town, so the season tickets, I don't think mm-hmm. are a big deal to you. But what I would say to you is, um, outside of Syracuse and TCU, which Syracuse, <laughs> you know, they have the contract with, TCU was a game given to them by the Big East Big 12 Battle, which, by the way, might be a thing of the past based on what Oklahoma and Texas are up to. Um, what are the other six games? How do you view those games? And what do you have anything that would sort of, you know, do you have any sort of strategy or who you'd like to see in there? Like for for instance, I'll say that um, when I look at Maryland GW and Mason and the fact that mm. they're all playing each other, that just seems like such a no brainer. Just get a part of that. You're already playing Howard and American, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But let me just see what. Sort of, you think from your your angle from out of town?
1: Yeah, for me, it's. I I don't hate the non-con this year. I think that's like, good. Teams like yeah, I I think TCU and South Carolina on paper, it's not an attractive set of games there. But those two teams should be much improved. San Diego State's always solid. I that one annoys me. That. California trip when apparently they were aligned for the Orlando one, which would have been much better for a multitude of reasons. But
0: and I whatever, would have gone.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of us <laughs> would have. But it, it, I would like to see, you know, why not annually have an ACC opponent set up for a home and home? I think that makes sense uh, geographically, you know, or rekindle an old Big East foe even i mean i have no interest in really playing pittsburgh but there's got to be somebody in that mix um outside of syracuse and the local schools at maryland i I never understood the thing about not wanting to play a local due to recruiting it's this is not college football it's not a 12-game season where one game swings the kids decision or how they view the school it to me it it never made any sense what is george or even the gw if georgetown loses the gw there are no local high school kids that are going to say well i'll rather i'd rather go to gw now i mean it's it's made no sense to me forever so those local ones to me are a no-brainer so it's but overall this year it's not great it's not even good, but I, I don't think it's terrible.
0: John, last year they lost to Navy. Obviously Georgetown and Navy are not recruiting the same kids. You could make you could make the argument that Georgetown, GW, Mason, Maryland are recruiting a lot. There are a lot of overlaps. And I'm someone that growing up, you know, I've been a fan forever. Um Growing up, I was someone that would just you know i was on I was on the Georgetown side, I would do a mega eye roll about oh you know why don't why't why don't they do a big five in d c you're know, like well, because they just don't, but I will say the more I've covered g w and just sort of the more that you know when you when, when you as a program are at the point where you're saying, look here's what we're going to do to try and get people to come to games we're going to offer these six games that are kind of whatever, and if you want them, you get them if you don't blah blah blah. Well, how about playing games where other fans might show up? I mean, that was one of the big things with the old Big East is, you know, there was a lot of games against, you know, West Virginia, Pitt, Notre Dame. uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of schools, West Virginia, where the other team's fans showed up and it gets loud in the arena. I'm not going to say that the GW game is going to get loud in the arena, but it just seems like from every angle, now is the time to get on board with this. And when you look at Maryland doing it, Why can't you do it? And so I want to get your opinion on that. And then the second opinion is, uh, and Nolan just brought up playing another ACC school other than Syracuse as a season ticket holder, the year where the Syracuse game is in the dome, I feel like that's important to give the home fans a game. And, you know, JT three did a good job. You know, Duke came through Kansas came through Memphis came through when they were Memphis, Michigan came in once, I'm forgetting some teams, uh, Vanderbilt, blah blah. I don't know, uh, Oregon, Illinois. I do think that there's got to be a major thing of, in, in my world, it would be perfect to just be like, okay, when Syracuse is on the road, we play Maryland at home. And just kind of alternate that to always give your non-conference schedule some sort of an anchor. What do you think about that? So I think that those two points for me, that go hand in hand. You start playing Maryland, GW, and Mason, and you make sure that that Maryland game is opposite when Syracuse. Does that make sense, or do you hate it?
2: No, I I, I do like I, I I'm sort of agnostic on how I feel about a Georgetown Maryland rivalry. Like the games I've been to personally have been underwhelming, but I mean, it, I I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Um, right. But I do I do agree with both of you. Like I think the one significant bump you can make to like a non conference schedule like this is is upgrading the the home and home that you have in like that upper tier it's probably you know like in a non-conference schedule there's probably three tiers of teams you play you play the straight up cupcakes that serve a purpose there's sort of the middle tier teams like kind of mid-major-ish teams that can serve various purposes that's going to measure you know your power conference schools right and i i i suspect i mean it's, it's too random a, a home and home not to probably have a link to this i have to think that the choice to play south carolina has something to do with the fact that you've got two players on your roster with ties to columbia yeah. And if that's the case, like mm-hmm. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I actually like when teams do that. Um but I think, you know, I think in a perfect world that like you'd replace South Carolina with, as no one said, an ACC school or somebody that has a higher profile with the types that, you know, JT3, as you said, was was able to successfully get. Um one thing that makes it a little more difficult, one area in which we've kind of been done wrong a little bit is Major conference schools with the you know conference affiliated like scheduling arrangements like the Gavitt games like the Big East Big Twelve you do lose a little bit of flexibility. The plus side is you're gonna probably get one or two games out of the Gavitt and the Big Twelve if you're Georgetown. But I mean I'll be straight up honest like we haven't gotten since the, since the Maryland home at home we have not gotten very good matchups out of either of those, and it hurts the overall profile. Like TCU will probably be fine this year, but if you were picking a name at random from the Big Big Twelve. <laughs> man, like, especially for a home game. And it's weird because it's like the disconnected one that's like over a week after all the other ones. It's done like the last Saturday before Christmas. Like, it's just... Oh, it, could, it could
0: theoretically decide the battle.
2: Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs>
0: um,
2: I guess another thing you might do on the top end of that is it's kind of odd to me that we're now, this is year five of Patrick Ewing, and he's never scheduled Georgetown into an eight-team multi-team event. All the ones we've gone to have all been four-team events. Like I feel like there's an opportunity there to get, you know, another kind of high-profile game in a setting. Like again, if you had gone to Orlando and not to the Wood, and you may end up with San Diego State and USC, and that's great. But I think, you know, the the field that you had potentially in Orlando, three of those, I think, makes your overall non-con look a lot better. And I wish they would take an eight-team event instead of a four-team event.
0: Well. This, Speaking of the, that, I, I think they have a second chance at one of the at the the next Phil Knight event, right? Which is kind of when he showed up and that was the whole yeah. backing out of that. So I think he's got, you know, a second chance at that.
1: The frustrating part, I think, with a lot of those is if you're an organizer of these 18 tournaments, Georgetown's a program you want that you would value. And yeah. it just seems like Georgetown itself has just backed away from those opportunities.
2: Yeah, you know, for instance, we are, we're back to being Maui Invitational eligible. I think it's now five years since we've been in it. Like, when do you think the next time we're playing in that is?
0: Yeah. You'd have to look at which teams. I guess I don't know when the last time Connecticut had been, because they, they added to, you know, whatever the the regular rotation of Big E schools that Maui would want, you add UConn to that. So I'm not sure if that bumps them further back down the line, you know? Yeah. Um. I will say this a couple of years ago, I started a post and I never finished it, but I, it's kind of, it'll always be relevant. So I can, I can edit it and fix it, but I do like the scheduling of Sienna. They haven't played them in forever. And Sienna has, I think it's like a four, two winning advantage or something like that. So I like the idea of settling scores and fixing up your record books and getting on the positive side of some old school rivalries. So I, I did like to see that.
2: No, one, I'm sure. No I'm sure
0: that that's not the reason it was on the schedule. <laughs> but I did, I did like to see it.
2: No, and you're a little more knowledgeable on the on the Mac than than I am. Mm-hmm. And that's, has Mac been a little bit down in the past couple of years? It
1: has. Yeah, it's. I think this year especially is probably not the year you wanted to see him on there. I mean, they're a star guard transfer to Penn State. they they're, they're going to be down this year. But that's generally, I mean, at least for a MAC program, you would always want Sienna there. I mean, they have a rich tradition, good fan support, the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rick Pitino is probably going to run through the MAC, maybe undefeated this year. It's it's down a little bit for sure. He's somebody I would like to schedule. Why not? I mean, if you're dipping down into the MAC level, throw him on the schedule again.
2: Yeah, sort of. in the, I was just thinking, if in, in, in that middle tier of non-con games, there are certain conferences, like in the MAC, in, in more up years for that conference, is one that, like, yeah, you'll throw some teams in there. Like mm-hmm. I think JT3, too, unfortunately, his bad luck ended up with Monmouth that year. But you know, <laughs> in, in most years, you know, you throw a MAC team in the mid-tier of your non-con schedule. That's a decent, that's a decent, you know, not that's a decent strength of schedule number you're going to get out of. It. You're going to probably get a good game. You know, there's there's conferences you you kind of target for that, and there's some that you avoid, you know, that hey, let me try not to schedule too many of those from that conference unless there's a reason. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I will say the non-con strength of schedules under Ewing are getting a little bit better. and They're not quite getting to the level or even like a step below the level of JT3s, but at least the trend line is somewhat positive.
0: Well, he he did that good thing, right? Like, I, I learned the hard way in intramural bowling and I just, you know, we did it. It was a bunch of people in my, in my hall. We're like, let's just let's do the intramural bowling. And I'd only bowled a couple of times with my family. I had no idea about handicaps and all these things. So basically my roommate was a decent bowler, had a terrible night. So the entire season he had this incredible handicap because the night we went to get our handicaps, he bowled like crap. So basically in the Ken Palm era, Ewing put out the worst schedule I think has ever been seen. <laughs> so when you say that he's been improving, yeah, there was only one way to go.
2: So, I mean, you are correct. Ewing. I mean, Ewing's first schedule was the non-con schedule was literally the last thing schedule in ten pom. It went the four years of Ewing so far. I've gone. I've looked this up: three, three fifty one, two ninety two, one twenty six, one forty two. So, I mean, they've yeah. taken some steps. It's not. It's not perfect, but it's it's okay.
0: I guess it's a little bit like chicken and the egg, right? Like. <clears throat> You know, in order to get on the bubble, which they haven't been at the end of a season yet, y- you know, what does your schedule have to be? Are they not on the bubble because of their non-conference schedule, y- you know, or is it some other reason? Right. And it's basically you it's such a such a narrow hole to get through if those are your non-conference schedules. Right. Like you have to do so much heavy lifting. You have to, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it, it just you don't leave yourself with any room for error when those are your non-conference schedules. And that's, you know. There's other reasons why they haven't been on the bubble, but that's one of them. Yeah.
1: My my rule of thumb, if I was running a program would be if we go 500 in conference, I want a schedule that's good enough to be in the tournament. Yep. Which this year, I'm I'm not sure that's the case. I I don't think it is.
2: I mean, you know, you think, you know, I mean, 2010, you're, you're 10 and eight in the regular season in the conference. You do go to the, yeah, you know, tournament final and you're a three seed, right? Like yeah, the, following year, the following year, you're 10 and eight. You lose in the first round of the tournament. You're still a six seed. You know, JT3's team, for better or worse, did have a habit of getting slightly over And that's because of the mm-hmm. non-common.
0: Yeah, so maybe... Yeah. I get on the bubble. That's that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get on the bubble. Um, it's hard to win your conference tournament when you're not on the bubble, although they did it. And it was incredible. And we loved it. And I have a hat to prove it. That's hard.
2: It's Can we a, talk not... for just a moment about... <laughs> about my hat? No. Can we talk <laughs> for just a moment about the ring?
0: <laughs> have at it.
2: <sighs> Who... Whose fault do we think that was?
0: I have no idea.
2: <laughs> is this not, like every time, every time I think we've out one, two, three fireballs ourselves, we come up with something that just like is the most inexplicable. Like, and, but you know what though, this is, this is, Georgetown is the school, and I think it's about the 10 year anniversary of this too, that gave us the graduation books that's spelled at university. So, you know, I just, you got to, I guess you got to laugh.
0: Um, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say this. Earlier today, I was eating dinner and I got caught in a Twitter thread where someone brought up one, two, three fireballs. They were It was in reference to Georgetown's soccer program, something with Anonymous Eagle from the Marquette blog. So one, two, three fireballs, it's funny that you bring that up, has just stuck around uh, as a term in infamy. Um, although it's it's been gone for about five years now. Um, right. The rings, the the rings. I have no idea. I I, I have just too many other things. Um, as,
2: as, as, absurd, as absurd as that is, it's absurd that like George somehow managed to do that. You do have to laugh just at the fact that we're having this conversation because those rings exist because they won the goddamn Biggies tournament. Um, <laughs> what a world. Yeah.
0: It's it's unbelievable, and I I wouldn't have believed it unless we sat here and during uh, quarantine COVID and just it just happened and you know unfortunately I wasn't you know none of us were able to be there in person and if they wait if they go from the same gap in time to winning it again I'm gonna be super old and I'm not sure I'm gonna be going to those games anymore so hopefully it's not another 14 year uh, gap and based on who's in the conference I would really like to think that that's not even possible but that's another topic. Um, I did want to get out of here on NBA Hoyas. Um, So Otto, who has just, man, since he left the Wizards, it has not gone well. He signed with Golden State. He's, you know, I don't know, He's injuries. I don't know the head. I'm not sure what's going on. Jeff Green, who I really enjoyed watch play this past year with Brooklyn. I was selfishly hoping that either he was, okay, let's just say he signed with Denver. And I think he's one team away from matching the record of most teams by an NBA player. I think he's at 11 and I think the 12 is the record shared by a couple other guys. I don't know about you guys. I was hoping that Otto or Jeff, I was hoping that they would either end up on the Lakers or the nets just selfishly as I don't have the amount of free time to just watch every game on NBA league pass. Like maybe I did 10 years ago, but I want them to be on teams that matter. So I guess they're on teams that matter. I'm just gonna. I'm just, I'm just gonna be honest. I'm never gonna get over Steph Curry. Steph Curry ruining my Easter in Raleigh. So I'm not gonna be a Golden State guy. It's just. I'm just sorry. I'm just. I'm just petty like that. Uh, Denver. I like watching them play. That's fine. They could make a run to the semis. I guess. Um, Greg Monroe, who still is playing at a high level, I have not seen his name resurface as a candidate or anything. And just to run down the uh, summer league stuff, John, you brought it up. Caleb Johnson and Stephen Domingo. Who could have played together at Georgetown had Stephen Domingo not transferred? They're going to suit up for the Spurs. Caleb sort of has like I don't know his brothers on the Spurs. If they've got something going on there. Um, our most recent in is, Tokyo right now. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. His brothers in Tokyo, but he, he he's also a spur. Um, Blair got picked up by the Bucks. Uh, Beale the hometown team Nuggets and Pickett actually earned himself an Exhibit Ten contract which I think is just a complicated way of saying they've kind of secured his G league rights and they're inviting him to training camp. Um, I think that if you have a term in a sports league that isn't just, that isn't completely intuitive and you have to Google it, I think is not great. That that's kind of just me. Um, No Marcus Derrickson, no Jesse Govan. uh, I believe Paul White's playing somewhere. Um, Any surprises? Nolan, I know you're a big NBA guy. I know that you're a LeBron guy. Were you hoping that either Otto or Jeff ended up with the Lakers like I was?
1: Yeah, I think either one of them would have made sense there. Yeah, Uh, Otto should play, I would think, a sizable role for the Warriors and fit in well there. Same with Jeff in Denver. I was kind of surprised Jeff just didn't go back to Brooklyn, but at the same time, he's been taking these vet minimum deals for a while that he finally – I mean, even now, I think he's a bargain for five million a year. He he outperformed that this past season. Uh, other than those, I'm really proud of Jamarco. I, the exhibit times not much, but it at least tells me the Pistons are invested a bit in him, having him yeah. in their G League for the entire year. And he's it, it wouldn't shock me if if he ends up playing some NBA games down the road. I mean, still his physical profile, it's. It's what they want. So I hope he just keeps working at it. Uh, Can I just say the Steven Domingo thing, has has he even been playing? Because, you know, when he went to Cal, it it did not get any better. Um, No, it didn't. Yeah, that that stunned me to see him pop up on a summer league team, but good for him. He's he's been playing G League. Has he? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I missed that totally.
0: On NBA Hoyas, the fact no, that there's I mean, just two is amazing, right? Like, there used to be three guys on the all star team,
2: yeah. I mean, it's it's it is what it is. I i, I kind of agree with Nolan. I'm rooting for Jamorco here. Um, I don't know if they will end up being with Detroit that he makes it, but I mean, you know, I you know, Hollis Hollis and Henry, you know, got it you know, it, you're creating that on the process sixers curve there, but. Yeah, Detroit's another team, kind of on the ground floor of a rebuild right now. I mean, I it wouldn't be shocking to see him, you know, you know, move up at some point. But yeah, I think to, to Nolan's point, he's got the profile you're looking for. I think, in particularly later in the year and in the Big East tournament, he showed he's a pretty darn good plus defender when he wants to be. Um, and if the shooting stays there, I mean, that that's kind of what they want in these situational players. So, I mean, good on him and good luck to him.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's too bad that this recruiting pitch will fall on deaf ears to high school kids. But those three guys that just earned summer league deals and Jamarco being the G league, if you take each one of them, like Belay being from Northwestern state really just progressing through the last half of the season and turning it into a summer league deal now with a chance or Javon who was totally under recruited really was benched a sophomore year, the development he made the last two seasons and Jamarco from really a total project his freshman year. And now at this point, I mean, Ewing should sell the crap out of the, those development stories. It's not yeah. with the same flash as sending a one and done out the door to the NBA, but I think it's impressive um, that that staff pulled, pulled it off with those three kids.
2: Yeah, this is, I mean, this is something I was saying after the end of the, season last year that, you know, it was inexplicable and like it really was literally like a, you know, two in a thousand or whatever shot if you look at Ken Palm for Georgetown to win the Big East tournament. It's not like anybody can really explain how it happened, but that does not happen without a significant amount of in-season player development. And I don't know if that's on the mm-hmm. staff, it's on the players themselves, but that, it was a, you know, a huge surprise that they won the Big East tournament, but that doesn't come out of nowhere, right? We're not throwing darts in the in the dark here. That happens, and those performances happened because that team got better. And those players got a lot better after the COVID pause. I have no idea how to this day. Yeah. But that was real.
0: Well, and it happened with Blair having a completely different role, which I thought was just – I just couldn't believe it was happening. And it worked. I mean, there's just – you know, basically Blair got tapped on the shoulder when everybody left. And it was like, all right, man. I know you like to shoot. I hope you're in good shape because you're not, you're never coming out. And that was the way that season ended. And then the next season kind of started the same way, and, and then whatever happened happened, and it worked. And you know, so the development and the ability to get kids to take on different roles and be cool with it, right? Like there's a lot going on there. Whatever coach it was, whatever coach you know, coaches, you know, there's so many positives that came out of that besides the hat that I got, the ring the players got. Um, there are so many positives that came out of that story. And it, I think it's you know, I think fans and alums are always going to want to root for their guys. I think that the three guys coming out, even though Belay wasn't there very long and, you know, we never got to play at a home game with fans. Um, I think those are three guys that are pretty easy to root for for the, for the Georgetown fan base. And I know that Pickett's probably got the best chance as shown by his Exhibit 10 deal, but
1: just adding this, Omer right now, they are in the third quarter, and he's up to 20 points and 15 rebounds,
0: so maybe he's got a shot. You know who he's playing against, right? Oh, yeah. So I just want to let you guys know, I don't know the last time either of you guys tweeted about McClung. And like I said, there's been a lot going on in my house just between normal work and, you know, adding to the roster. And I was able to watch part of the NBA draft. And because I haven't been following all the mock drafts every second or whatever. And even the ones I've seen, you never saw McClung's name, right? Like it was, he wasn't going to get drafted he wasn't projected yeah. anywhere, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to lie. Like that night at like, I don't know, 12, one o'clock, whatever. I'm looking at Twitter as I'm just, you know, I'm up for whatever reason. And I saw, you know, him or someone posted that, you know, Lakers signed him for the summer league. And I retweeted it, I don't follow him And then I tweeted out something Obviously it was meant towards him And I just—I honestly forgot about him You know, I honestly did And somebody, and I'm sure whoever it is Probably listens to this because you're a big fan Tweeted something like, I don't know Something about him And when I woke up, because I got tagged in the thread I woke up and I had like, you know 150 notifications I'm like, oh my god, did I What did I tweet, was that on my mind Like, what did I say and I was like, oh, it's a McClung thread. So man, that guy has some serious fans online. Nolan, I think you've you've been bombarded by the Gate City mob before.
1: <laughs> they uh they they are serious.
2: <laughs> I do I do wonder I, I, I'm sort of sad that we missed a year of Mac McClung in the NIL world just as a Tokyo. Oh Because yeah. oh, yeah. I think he would have been a perfect test case for how somebody with Uh, you know, he's a fairly prominent player in his own right, but with a humongous social media following, how they could have monetized that would have been a really interesting case.
0: Well, well, and like you said, to be at a school that maybe is not going to like, I don't know, like sell its soul to be out in front of all of it. You know what I mean? So that would have been a really interesting fit. If NIL would have been around when he showed up, because I think he showed up with like a million Instagram followers. Right. I mean, yeah. Oh, Actually, I came up with a great because you know, I'm for the people that want to roll their eyes at the DC Big Five version or whatever, and no one wants to hear it. Although I think it makes a lot of sense now that you're you're kind of down a peg. UNC, that's the team that you play. You start playing them, you've played Duke in my mind. The only UNC matchup since I've been following, which is I don't know, 30 plus years now as a little kid, they played him in an ACC Biggies challenge. They played him, they beat him. John, we can talk about it for five hours in the NIT. And uh they obviously got him on the way to the final four. I don't think they've played them again since then, right? I mean that's that's it for UNC they, Or no, I think they they played him in uh, Maui once.
2: They did, yeah,
0: but yeah, so anyway, they haven't played him at home. I, I think the I think the ACC Biggies challenge game of I think it's the 89 90 season that might have been when Alonzo got hurt, and that season kind of didn't go the way everybody was hoping for. But anyway, they have my guy, Lake Braddock alum, um so he's local. You know, it gets a chance for UNC since Maryland's not here. UNC gets to come up here. Hubert Davis and company get to recruit. You know, so every other year you play, you play UNC. It's great. It's perfect, right? I solved it. I'm not, I'm not saying I solved that. it. Who says go. no uh, to that?
2: We, we fixed we, we fix scheduling. We can end on that.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, all right, guys. Well, it was great talking to you guys. I know that the pod, the podcast for all the loyal listeners of Kente Corner, I swear, are going to pick up. I've been busy and there hasn't been a lot to talk about. Hopefully soon we'll have some NILs to talk about. We'll have uh, the Biggie schedule and when they're playing to talk about and you know, maybe some new recruits. John, I really appreciate it. He's at Florida Hoya, at Nationwide Nolan. Everyone else for listening, thanks so much. You guys got any parting shots you want to tell the Loyal listeners,
2: Bobby, take care. Get some sleep. My, my, I got a sister with two young kids now. Get some sleep, man.
1: Yeah, congrats again, Bobby.
0: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just growing all these Hoya fans over here. So I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> doing my part to increase the fan base.
2: Get him yeah, in the Hoya Kids Club now.
0: Hey. <laughs> Young, or my my oldest. It seems weird to say that since he's four. It's not very old. He is. He's already met Patrick Ewing. Huge fan. And uh, definitely Kids Club material. Avoid the Noid, guys. Avoid the Noid. The um, <laughs> next take Corner will be here before you know it. I want to thank you guys again.
2: Thanks, Patty. Thanks, guys.